Um, it's kind of surreal to me to be speaking about the church and where to see it, because that was part of my, they don't really call it that anymore, but it, in Baptist world, it's the trial sermon. If you ever grew up in a Baptist church, and you're trying to get a new Baptist pastor, they would polish off their best sermon, they'd give it on a Sunday, and then you found out like months later they really couldn't preach, or maybe they could, you don't know. But you just had your one good sermon. Well, mine was way to see it, leading into the book of Colossians, leading to um, the importance of the study of God's Word. But that's the one that, because of the way the geography of way to see it is, when you see the term lukewarm church pop up, um, because it's connected to these other two cities, one of them being Colossus or Colossae, however you want to say it, um, the way to not be lukewarm, the answer is found in the letter to the church, to the book of Colossians. But that's the answer. And you'll see it's very Christocentric, put Christ first, that's the solution. And so my first sermon here, before I was uh, offered the job to be the pastor, was on the Laodicea, leading into Colossians, and so it's, it's almost seven years ago. Um, Jamie will be seven years here, so I was, as I was studying it this last week and kind of going over some of my old notes and some new things, I was like, this is kind of crazy. Um, and then I also realized that I think I made some bad connections seven years ago. Um, I didn't preach the text incorrectly, but with some new things that I've kind of seen in the geography and the layout, um, I think that I, I didn't do it wrong, but I just didn't do it, I think, to the fullest that it could have been. Um, so, we will jump in and take a look at the church in order to see it. Um, I have a new map. I like the old one, but I like this one better. So, uh, these are the seven churches in red that we've looked at for the last several weeks. Um, here's the one of the where John of the is where he's writing this from, um, where he's getting the vision from Christ. And so we're going to focus over on the right, the last letter, um, this little spot where we're going to see it exists. And so you see kind of these, I have a closer one, I think, um, where these rivers, the Danger River and the Lycus River come together, and then you have Heropolis, or Heropolis, I'm just going to say Heropolis from now on, and you're going to see it in Colossus. Now this map comes out of the ESV study Bible, the online version, and so the focus was in Colossus, but I let us see it right there. And so the point of this is that you have these triplet cities that are interconnected. They're so close together that anything written about Laodicea or Colossus or Heropolis, that they have very close cultural connections. And so when we're reading this letter, what's going on in Laodicea has direct connections to the other cities as well. And a lot of what we're going to look at, because we're going to look at this big geographic thing over warm water and cold water and those things, and we're also going to look at the trade and commerce of the church and what's happening in the city of Laodicea, and then Christ's rebuke, but then also his open door invitation for them to come back. And so it's, it, the geography really matters a lot when it comes to this. So this city was in a crossroads. Um, it's in a certain section of, uh, of a high plains plateau, about 150 feet above the valley. The river's kind of all around it, um, but it's also a place of great protection. It was a trade route. It's a, it's a, it's a way stop along the way. Um, this is the Ephesus Gate. So this was the, the ancient gate into the city that led the road led to um, Ephesus. And so you have like lots of architecture and things around, and so there was three city gates leading in three different directions, and this is the one that remains that leads to Ephesus. And so the place is a place of great wealth and, and really opulence. This is, they have a hillside, there's a great coliseum kind of theater, and this is the remains of when the Romans came and made it a little, I don't know if you call it more comfortable, but they had seating, I guess. I mean, I think sometimes we've been to a baseball game and you can do the 
open, like free seating on the lawn, and then you go sit in the chair, and sometimes the lawn with the blanket's better than this. Well, but the Romans came in and codified all and made it all great. So there's great theaters, there's great gates, there's all these things that the Romans came in. But this city was uniquely positioned in this valley that was prone to many earthquakes. Earthquakes have around, had issues. Uh, I know you guys have seen this map before, I showed it, I think, last week. And so it's in this kind of plaza area, and you know, have the Niagara River and the Lancaster River, and you have Colossus and you have Peropolis um, on both ends. And so the way you see it is set in a spot that was pretty unique. It was a trade route, it was, there was a medical center there between Peropolis and the Odyssey. There were two medical schools essentially. Um, there was a special sand, a special kind of rock, chalky dust. I don't want to get it wrong, but it's the um, PR, anyway. There was a sad made from it. And it was, this, was, this was kind of like an EMT place. You know, like ear, nose, throat, doctor, kind of area, or ophthalmology too. Um, the sad was used to heal eye injuries. There was, the sad was used to clear up ears as well. So people would come through this area to seek medical treatment. They also came to this area because they had black sheep that were unique to this area. So a special world that came out of this area. Um, and it was supposed to be the best wool that anyone had ever seen. It was different. It wasn't white wool, so it was decorative. It was different. It was supposed to have different properties. I don't know if it really did. It was just black. Um, but, but, I mean, all those different kinds of wool. I remember my first, like, expensive pair of socks. Like, the first wigwam socks you ever put on your feet. You're like, oh, these aren't just, like, the Walmart hands. Like, these are... And then, then you discover the darn tough socks, and you just forget all about the wigwam. You just go all darn tough. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? Soft marriage too? Okay. So this is what matters. So what this area became very famous and wealthy for rural, for medical treatment, for um, trade, commerce. They were so wealthy. Um, Tacitus, the Roman historian, they, there was a shipment of gold that was taken. It had been stolen. He requires, or he, he records this in a history it says a Jewish offering to the temple in Israel had been sacked, had been captured, been taken, and it was enough gold that it, it led him to believe that there were about 7,500 wealthy Jewish people in their community. So they, because of the wealth, they were sending money to the temple. This place was completely self-sufficient. When the earthquake leveled it, um, Tacitus also writes that they didn't ask for any help. That they... They didn't need the help of Rome. They rebuilt their city. All these other cities we've talked about have been helped and rebuilt and taken care of. Let us see that all on its own. They essentially said, we got it. Now, this attitude of taking care of themselves is what leads to Jesus having harsh words for them. They don't feel they need to rely on Christ at all. They're very much a place of the iron bootstraps type people. Which all of you have lived in Wyoming for any length of time know exactly what this is because it's us. That's exactly what we do. I think it's a bit American as a whole, but I've lived in Indiana and West Virginia, and it is very, very much a Wyoming thing. We have a Red Cross shelter here at First Christian Church. Um, anytime something happens, the Red Cross knows. The trailer that sits, I don't know if you noticed it, but the trailer sits beside the church bus that's filled with Red Cross supplies, cots, blankets, supplies to set up a shelter. At any moment, I had the code to get in. I would give it to you, but you'd go steal a really bad cop, so I'm not giving it to you. We could get in that trailer and use it this place. Oh, just like Thanksgiving, we clear the chairs, we set it up, we have a shelter in place. And we have a commercial kitchen. The only way to have is a shower where it sinks. We can sink. 
involved in this. And so they all came near the church. And by the end of the day, we had people cooking, taking care of. We were expecting to set up all kinds of cots, places, and people were sleeping in it for days. And at the end of the day, by 6 o'clock, there was no one here. They had hotel rooms, they called friends, they were in the cars, they just left. Okay, I guess. Well, we fed them. That's all right. Church responds in a crisis like no other. Another time to talk about a transformer blue school was canceled. So the only school's ever been canceled here because of snowfall, and because either they didn't plug the buses in, they all froze up, or because the transformer blows and three schools now have power to each place. Like, that's only going to cancel school right here. I love it. When my family and me, they cancel school for an inch of snow, I just laugh at their weakness. It just makes me so happy. So, that's the story. We opened the shelter because of this power that one person from Laramie came, and she was here for an hour and a half. She came because power was out, she needed her oxygen machine. The paramedics brought her here, hour and a half later, she was already six hours with no power as an oxygen machine. Finally called the paramedics, they bring her here, power's on, take her back home. They gave out the whole cell phone alert where it's like the thing pops across your, your cell phone and says, First Christian Church is a shelter. If you need heat or you need food, come to First Christian Church. The only people that replied were people stranded in the Walmart parking lot because the IAD was closed. They showed up and played cards and we hung out. So even the travelers, not from Wyoming, the weak ones, showed up to the shelter. That's not an okay thing as a church and as a people. To think that I can do it all on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody. I know many of you that have been through pain, suffering, have dealt with all kinds of stuff. When asked by people in the church, when asked by people around, can we do anything? Do you need some food? Do you need some help? Can I come over? Can I bring you coffee? No, we're good. No, no, we're fine. And we are a people that suffers in silence in Wyoming. I think it's directly connected to the suicide rate in our state. We don't seek mental health. We don't seek care. We don't seek help from friends. But we're also the people who sit on stuck on the side of the road, 12 pregnant people. One was Kyle Pope, who's on staff at this church, that when the weather's bad, just drive around town helping people because it's fun to help people. He threw some ropes and some chains and got some, some kids in there and he's like, I just, I've been helping people all day. Well, I was doing donuts in the church parking lot. <laughs> he got helping people not playing. He did me down a little bit. So that was the most helpful, drop everything, help someone in an instant, but also the first people to go, well, I don't need any help. I'm good. I don't need to put on the prayer list. I don't need to tell the elders about it. I don't need to ask for help. I don't need to call my friends. I don't need those things because I got this. Now, put that in perspective as we look at Laodicea. A church that feels they're, they're fine, they're good, they can take care of themselves. And look at the rebuke that Jesus gives them. And then what I'll ask you to do at the end is to look, look inside. Look inside yourself. I'm the first person that doesn't like to ask for help. I'm just as guilty as everyone in this room. When I remembered our house in West Virginia, my friends helped me put the decking on it, put the paper on it, put every shingle and every nail on that because I wanted to prove to myself that I was man enough to do it. It took me four days on a roof that should have taken about five hours with some help. I did everything on my own. And my wife was confident. Why don't you call some friends? Oh, I got this. Don't let 
stupid pride prevent your friends and the people around you from blessing you? If we're really a family and a community, then shouldn't we be helping each other? It's joyful to help each other. So, from that perspective, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 and see what Jesus has to say to this church. Thank you, angel. Maybe I'm the only 
one that has people want to fight me sometimes, but that's, that's like a, for me, kind of a, you know, usually it's, you started this, I'll finish it, he's saying, yeah, I started it, I'll finish it. That's a pretty bold statement. Okay? So that's where we're starting. And then he says, I know your works, you're either cold or hot. What that you're either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Thank you. 
the middle of Laodicea. Now, the Atlantic, or figures of the Atlantic River that flow through there, in the summer times, they completely dried up. They completely, they, you couldn't just go to the river and get water because the water dried up. So there were, there were seasons where, I mean, water was very important for this place. And so, which is, it's important to all of us. But they, so they had a pipe in with massive aqueducts. Um, this is a picture of the kind of salt flats in the middle of the province in Heropolis. I don't know the modern day Turkey name for it, but um, medicinal purposes happening there. This is a picture of one of the aqueducts outside of Laodicea. And so there are rays. And just think of the engineering. I know we're pretty smart here in our modern culture, but think of the engineering feats of making water travel from one place to the other and having to figure out the drop to get water to flow through this. And then to go clean it out of those mineral deposits and to keep it. Like, that's amazing. I, I think we're pretty smart. I think we don't give enough credit to the people that existed a couple thousand years ago like we should. These aqueducts would carry water for miles and miles and miles. They even would dig something to go underground to keep it going. So that you'd have some spots and rocks that would chip away and dig out the rocks and the water flowing through these areas. Um, and we're going to have to go to Israel last year. This is actually in Caesarea Maritime, which is on the Mediterranean coast, um, just north of Tel Aviv. And this is a aqueduct system that exists. It's still standing there. They carried water for 13 miles. And as the city grew, they just doubled the size of the aqueduct. So here's the main aqueduct, and when the city grew, they just went ahead and built right to the side of it to carry double the water. And again, we're a cute couple. So, you know, I just have to keep mentioning that. Not that I think we're better than you in a weird, arrogant way. We're just cute. So, what I think is the better interpretation, the better way to view this lukewarm idea, is that Jesus is looking at this church in Laodicea, and he sees the mineral springs, which are good for medicinal purposes in Heropolis, and he sees the cool drinking water of Colossus that's good for refreshing the thirst. So, in Heropolis, you have great avenues of refreshing your body and having a place for medicinal things in the salads and the ointments. So, you have great um, quenching of needs in Heropolis when it comes to medical issues. You have a great quenching of thirst in Colossus. And here sits Larry to see it. And he's saying, You're not either one of these. You're not good for healing, and you're not good for quenching the thirst. You're lukewarm, and you make me want to puke. It also ties in, and I don't know if you know this about Roman culture, but when they would have giant feasts, they would eat and eat and eat, and then they would purge. And so you had vomit buckets. There were certain rooms called the vomitorium where you would have certain things to drink so you could purge so that you could just keep the party going. I think that sounds awful. I'm not sure why you would do that, um, but that's what they would do. Like, this is such good. I'm having a good time. Well, there's, there's a belief that some of the heavily sedimentary water, lukewarm, would be used as kind of like a, what was it called? Ipecac kind of thing would cause you a puke. But they mix that up. And so there might be a little bit of connection there, but I don't think we need that. I think what we need to see is Jesus is putting this church between two places, and he's telling them, you're neither of these. You're not good for healing, and you're not good for thirst. You make me sick. You make me sick. That's. I mean, we've had other passages as going through these letters where he's gonna, Jesus says he's going to go against the church, he'll be against them. That's scary. But to think that a church 
teach us to know everything right, helping the community, doing all the stuff, and then we would make Jesus sick. That's a that's a knife to the chest. So tell them, I know your works. You're not helpful over here, you're not helpful over here, you're just kind of and you have no zeal, you have no passion for Christ, you're just going through the motions. You don't think you need me. You don't think you need to pray. You don't think you need help from God. You need help from the community. You're just going about business as usual. And it makes God sick. He then makes fun of their way of life. When you say I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold or fine by fire. So you may be rich, and wet garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and slap you your eyes so that you may see. So he makes fun of the, I'm going to try to preempt, I don't know, the sad that they made. He makes fun of that saying, your staff, your medical schools, all the pe- people come from miles around for help is useless. I've got the sad that opens your eyes to the truth. And he says, well, the world, the black will you have, all the things you have, the clothing, the clothing well, your black little garments, my white garments, the spiritual purity are better. They're better. He tells them, you think you're rich because you have all of this stuff? I've got gold refined in fire. Which means pure riches. And he's not talking literal gold. He's saying, I have, he's saying I'm better than all this. You think you've got it all figured out? everything better. He then exposes them in their nakedness. He calls them pitiful, blind, poor, naked, and then he says, shame is your nakedness. Now, in Hebrew culture, the shame is on the person who sees the nakedness, not the one who is naked. So what that means is, like, outside of your, your marriage, if you witness someone who's naked, the one who's naked, the shame isn't on them, the shame is on the one who looks at it. and of righteousness and of faith in him and working for him so that the people outside 
you, seeing the hypocrisy, seeing the way that you aren't trusting God. He just ripped. He calls them vomit. And then he rips their entire way of life. That's a pretty good rule of love. That's like taking somebody out of the knees. Your face makes me want to puke, and I hate everything about you. <laughs> well, I guess we can't be friends anymore.
And so Jesus is breaking that mold here. He's saying, if you repent, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Now, I know sometimes we use the term door, like open the door of opportunity. Um, sometimes it's used as an evangelistic thing. I, I don't know that that's necessarily bad, but in the context of this passage, Jesus is talking to a church of people who profess the faith in him, and he's saying, if you repent, I'm there. Um, often this is used as like a, you know, Jesus stands like a gentleman at the door, and if you would just open. It's not really, you know, go ahead and say that. It's part of our culture, but just know that's not really the context of the scripture. I don't think it's wrong. I just think, anyway, I'm confused myself. So what we get is this picture of fellowship. And this is why a lot of software that I just liked it because it's cheesy and it works for me. If what Jesus is saying is, you make me sick, I can't stand where you live your life, but I'm going to patiently wait right here. And when you're ready, I'm right here. Just open the door and let me back in. I'm going to wait right here. And then, we're going to have fellowship together. Like one of the beautiful things of communion taken every week in this church is it's a representation of the table in your life. The, the table is the centerpiece of worship in a Jewish home. It's the meals are prepared there, family gatherings happen there, you broke bread there, the table was everything. And I don't know what it's like in your house or not. Like when I got older as a teenager, it was very much get my plate of food and go to my room. And Amber didn't grow up that way. Like they had meals, many meals they could at the dinner table. And my family kind of, my parents divorced and things went kind of sideways. No fault of my mom. She's just trying to keep things together. Um, but we really set a standard in our house that we're going to sit at the table every chance we get. There are nights where it's running and gunning with practices here and there, and there's fast food flying, and that just happens. But we sit at the table as often as we can. When people come over, invariably, you hang out at the table. Sometimes we move from the table over to the couch and chair. But the table's right there. And that's only because there's some recliners over here, and it's more comfortable. But the table's a centerpiece. Homework's done there in our house. Games are played there at our house. We eat food there. We put things together. Like it's the table, the centerpiece of the home. And for Jesus to say, I can't stand all these things about you, but if you let me in, we'll have fellowship together. Now think about that. Do you invite people out to lunch or dinner with you that you can't stand? That you've looked them in the face and say, puke? Always my fault. <laughs> and so we talk afterwards. 
afterwards. We had that conversation, but we sat at a meal. Not as big as, as, as many pleasantries and conversation as is typical because there's tension and we've got to work on this tension. We sat down at the table and had a meal with our kids. It, it's, it's Jesus saying, there's stuff to work on, but if you just start doing the work and you let me in, there's no hands back, there's no 16 steps, there's no 12 steps, there's no 18 over here, there's no pay your penance, give your pound of flesh, there's, I'm standing here. You let me in, we're going to have a meal together. And there, there might still be work to be done, but we're right back to a relationship, a fellowship, sitting around the table, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. This is Jesus' proclamation over this church, you're on the wrong path, Make me sick. I can't stand how you're living your life. But let me in. And we'll dine together. We'll work on this together. And then, kind of finishes this up. And gives us even more. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down on my father on his throne. So it's not just, I think it just, I know we've taken a while to get through this. It's not just, just in a few passages, vomit, can't stand you, open the door, oh, by the way, you can sit on the throne. What? Like, that's a quick level of forgiveness. He calls out our self-reliance, says you need to rely on me, and when you realize this, we will dine together, and not only that, but I will ask you to help me in the running of the new heaven and the earth. We're a partner in this. So you think of what Adam and Eve were in the garden. God gives them tasks. He gives them, they're, they're working together, walking together in the garden. Like, I just had this picture, like, I'm not much, I mean, I, what I hope is that if I'm going to be a gardener in the new earth, God at least lets me be around the sweet corn. <laughs> I love sweet corn. And I, I, know, I don't know, I think, I, I don't know if we're going to be eating animals or not, but I, I pray that we can still make butter from them. Because if we have sweet corn and butter, I could almost be vegetarian, but I also know that's what I'm home, so that's not good either, so I don't know. But I can just imagine, like, you're hanging out in the garden, hanging with Jesus, and I'm, you know, he walks by, and he's like, man, you like that sweet corn? Oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, I made that. I know, you're amazing. You want some? Sure. Like, just effortless partnering with the king in the new earth. Oh, amazing. So what I, I kind of like you to today, which I don't really care about your political leanings, so I'm not going to... Let's say that you're invited to the White House by whatever current president of the United States exists. Don't put on me one thing or the other. I'm just saying I'm president. You're invited to the White House. You go to the White House and you have this big meal. And you're like, man, I got to hang out with the president. Like, the, this is cool. I'm in the White House. Like, right over there is, like, pictures and things. And I'm hanging out. And then they grow up, wouldn't it? You get to hang out at a royal dinner. Not royal, but okay. A presidential dinner. That's pretty cool. Like, no one's ever invited me to the White House. Like, if I go, I'll just be the tourist with the ticket, walking through, trying not to get shot for crossing a road somewhere. <laughs> but if I'm invited to go into the White House and have a dinner, and then the president comes over, hey, Mike, that was my name. Mike, come on, I'm sure something. Come with me. Takes me into the, the local office and says, Here's a seat. Here's six classified briefings. I'd like your advice. <laughs> oh, this is cool. 
of everything. It's not just, come serve me, I made you, I spoke in existence, you're my, I saved you, I did all the work. Jesus says, come, sit with me. We're going to run this thing together. We're going to hang out in this new earth together. We're going to... We're not his subjects. We're his creation. And he loves us. And he's offering a chance for us to get rid of ourselves and accept the truth that he loves us and that he wants us to work and reign in the kingdom with him. That's a far cry different than you make me sick. He says, come, serve me. Come, serve me. That's the call of all of our lives. And then wraps up the last part. He doesn't let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the classic thing he said over and over, over again. So my question to all of you is, I think the thing that is most accurate is when we get away from the lukewarm temperature stuff, like I'm hot on fire like Theophilus water for Jesus, Cool as ice, like Colossus water for Jesus. So, do, are you potent? Do you have an aroma of forgiveness that comes off of you? Do you have an aroma of grace that, that when people come in contact with you, they see a loving, caring person? They see a person who might have it all figured out, but is trying to be the best person that Christ has made. Are you trying? Are you working into it? Do you have, are you both? Do you have energy for it? Do you have, do you have a desire for people to know the truth? Is that you? Do you feel like you're effective in other people seeing Jesus? The other question is, because I think if we're all honest, we could say, man, someday, maybe, a little bit. Got some good areas, got some bad areas, got this thing over here. So the question for you to linger on over Thanksgiving, because we're about to make a turn in the book of Revelation and get into like four, five, six in the throne room and worship and all these things that are so awe inspiring. And then we get into the tribulation and the destruction and Jesus coming back. So we're, we're on this road of like the So what's holding you back from seeing that is true. Some of us have things that have been done to us that we haven't been able to forgive others of. It's holding us back. Some of us have done things. We don't really feel like we're forgiven. We hear the sermons, we know the stuff, we read the passages, but you still walk around holding on to this guilt that is not of God. In an instant, when you are saved, you're saved. It's not a... Good, I mean... It's not a reset switch in your house, which means you twist the dial or you do a little slider on the new cool modern ones and your light's dim and lower. That your faith isn't a little bit of faith, a little bit of faith, a little bit of salvation, a little bit of salvation. I'm almost saved. I'm almost living the cross. I almost said Jesus. It's an instant switch. You are dead in your sin and you're alive in Christ. It's an on-off switch. There's no in-between. Now, where most of us struggle is in the sanctification. Believe I'm saved, but I'm a mess. If I'm still a mess, how can I really be saved? I think that's a constant struggle with people with faith. It's a constant struggle. And I want to help you get through that. 
what's holding you back from being a sweet aroma of faith to others is guilt, shame, your past. Please call me. Please shoot me a text. I can show you over and over again in the scriptures that that's done and it's over with. We'll do a little Romans 8 action. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means you don't get negativity from Christ once you're his. What else is holding you back? Is it busyness? Is it a lack of knowledge? I hear that sometimes. Oh, I don't know the Bible enough. I don't know. Well, I got some tools I'll help you. Is it laziness? Can we be honest? We get lazy. We get bogged down. I get tiring. And I just, there's some stuff I need to look into. But, I don't know. There's better stuff on Netflix. Right? Is it interpersonal stuff? Some deep pain going on in your relationships. The cause of the block for you to see Christ's love. Let us help. And so over Thanksgiving break, as we will get into next week and the week after and the week after, we start looking at this, this beautiful picture of worship of the King in heaven. The awe of the elders and the angels and oh mind blowing. What's holding you back from seeing that as beautiful and true and pure? Whatever it is, don't be like Laodicea and say, I got this. I can figure this out. We're here to help. There's a lot of people in this church. Elders, deacons, people on staff, members, visitors that have a wealth of experience and knowledge. One of my gifts is that I might not remember everyone's name all the time, which I've snapped that once or twice, but I have this weird thing of going, I know this part of this person's story and this part of this person's story, you two should talk. And some of you, some of you have been on the receiving end of that. Or I've said, hey, you like that, and you like that, hey, you need to talk to that person. What did Mike do? I'm not looking for new friends. Well, you got one. Whatever you're going through, I promise you, someone in this church has been through it. At some extent. Maybe not exactly like you. But can feel your pain, feel that can, can empathize with you, and can help you through it. Let us help. So that's your marching orders the next couple weeks. What's holding you back from opening that door and letting Christ come in and communicate your table? What's holding you back from realizing you will serve with the King forever? And let us help you get that block out of the way.